This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chetka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Psoriasis is somewhat of an atypical dermatologic condition, which can come and go over time. And in many, there are seasonal effects, and in some, psoriasis can have an associated arthritis. It has a characteristic distribution, and while it has no cure, there are a variety of established and new treatment options. We'll discuss how to diagnose psoriasis, its characteristic appearance, its associated arthritis, and management with Dr. Jason Slubavitch, a dermatologist from the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. You're listening to Mayo Clinic Talks. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Very much glad to be here. We have had a rash of dermatology topics. Uh, I guess that was unnecessary. <laughs> anyway, let's start out by starting with the pathology of what's sure. actually going on at a cellular level in psoriasis. The skin is considered sort of an effector arm of the immune system. So uh, psoriasis is an immunologically mediated condition, and it results really in hyperproliferative lesions of the skin. So that's why people develop the characteristic skin changes. Typically, the skin will renew itself every 28 days, but with the inflammatory process of psoriasis, this is doubled or even tripled. There's been a debate, is the defect with the keratinocyte or is the defect with some sort of T-cell mediated process? People have gone back and forth, but the conventional thinking is that this is a T-cell disorder, a disorder of T-cells. And the skin presents a lot of antigen, of course, to the immune system. And there appears to be some interaction that with a combination of genetics and potentially environmental antigens that triggers this inflammatory process causing the skin to hyperproliferate. So there's really immunology associated with this disease, and that'll come into play when we later talk about management. Absolutely. Well, can you review the various types of psoriasis that individuals may get? Sure. So the most common is conventional plaque type psoriasis. So this would be over 80 or 90% of cases. This has a predilection for extensor surfaces of the skin, and it will present as very well demarcated lesions. Typically, when they're fully developed, they'll have a silvery type scale. So the scale is very brawny and prominent. It fits into what we call a papula squamous disorder. So one point clinically is dermatitis tends to be more ill-defined. So where the lesion begins and ends, it can have sort of a blurring where a conventional well-established lesion of psoriasis is very sharply marginated. So that can be sometimes a clinical clue into that. Uh, the second most common type probably guttate psoriasis. So the patients will erupt with very sort of gumdrop type papules. This is very much associated with strep infection. So strep can be the trigger. And in some cases you treat the strep infection and it's completely self-limited. And then the remaining forms are somewhat uncommon. There's a pustular form where patients present more with redness and pustules. These are sterile pustules. And then a variety of regionalized forms. So psoriasis that's limited to the scalp, psoriasis that's in the fold, so-called inverse psoriasis, some hand and foot psoriasis also can be seen. And most of those will either present with sharply marginated erythematous patches some can be associated with focal pustular change. 
typically the chronicity of this and the lack of response to steroids helps to separate it from more conventional forms of you know dermatitis in those areas mm -hmm. any thoughts as to the cause of psoriasis so it appears to be you know multifactorial so we do know there's a genetic component so you know if both of your parents have psoriasis there's a 50 percent more greater chance that you would have psoriasis compared to someone who doesn't have any background in that there are clearly antigenic environmental triggers and we see that with strep so it's probably the immunology of the immune system and the genetics on how you process antigen clearly is important it is clearly not something where there's one gene that makes the answer it's like many autoimmune conditions it's a combination of both the environment and in the baseline hereditary, you know, background of the immune system. Okay. So other than genetics, are there other risk factors for getting psoriasis? Are some more likely to get it than others? So we know smoking predisposes patients to psoriasis. So we think smoking is a risk factor. There is an association between psoriasis and obesity, and it's not sure which one comes first, but many psoriasis patients tend to be overweight. And it may be that if you just have psoriasis, you can't exercise there are drug triggers. So we do know sometimes medications will trigger psoriasis. So the classic ones being antimalarials and probably among the antihypertensive group beta blockers. So there can be some medication type triggers in that sense. Well, I'm, I'm a geriatrician, so I don't see kids, but what's the natural history of this? Does this start in childhood or is it more an onset in adulthood? So there is kind of two peaks. There is a group where you see it in kids. Okay. So there is certainly a, a population of patients with pediatric psoriasis. And then there's an older group, probably in your more thirties to fifties, where there's sort of another cluster. This tends to be a chronic condition. So once it's established, it tends to persist but there's a marked range in severity. So some patients have very minimal involvement. So maybe just a few plaques, other patients, it becomes more generalized. We do know the guttate variant can be self-resolved because that has that infectious trigger. So there's definitely a pediatric presentation. And then I would say middle-aged adult sort of mm -hmm. presentation. Those would be the two sort of demographics for onset. Once you develop psoriasis, is it a lifelong condition? Do you have it for the rest of your life or does it ever just kind of gradually burn out? Some patients do show moderation with age, okay? But there are many patients that once it's established, if it's untreated, essentially what it, it is what it is. And this sort of has implications for therapy because we're really sort of managing this condition. We can't necessarily put it into a complete clinical remission. So whatever treatments we give, they have to have a very favorable side effect profile because many times they will be chronic. They'll need to be administered chronically to you know, uh, get a good therapeutic outcome for the patient. Talk a little bit about diagnosis. What are the classic physical findings and the most common type of psoriasis? And can you diagnose it just by exam or do you ever need to do a skin biopsy? Certainly when it's classic, like the textbook ones with the plaques, with the micaceous uh, scale, the well-defined lesions, the predominance in the extensor surfaces, oftentimes that doesn't necessarily require a biopsy. In older patients, psoriasis can mimic some certain forms of T-cell lymphoma, most commonly cutaneous T-cell lymphoma. So that's always a red flag. Someone who has had chronic psoriasis that stops responding or a late onset case that's rapidly progressive, typically in those situations, we'll do a biopsy. 
What probably is, I think, under-recognized is um, there are many patients who have eczematized psoriasis. So, you know, tip, you can get eczema on top of psoriasis. And so oftentimes they're trying a lot of treatments, over-the-counter treatments for their psoriasis. And so in those situations, the histopathology can be not particularly diagnostic. So classic cases have classic histopathology, but we'll certainly see many patients who come in with a diagnosis of chronic hand dermatitis, for instance, that's actually psoriasis, or eczematized psoriasis that's being managed conventionally as eczema. So I would say there is some skill in terms of the clinical pathologic correlation for many patients. And so if you suspect psoriasis and you get a biopsy that's not psoriasis or even a biopsy that says some form of chronic eczema, you shouldn't necessarily accept that. You, you, you may need to get you know, another opinion and make sure that all the pieces truly fit. And I have seen some patients who have been diagnosed with eczema and they're really two different conditions completely, right? Eczema and right. psoriasis. Yeah, that's sort of like the conventional thinking. If you read in textbooks, you'll get this very clear sense that, and in fundamentally they're different disorders, but in many cases, or in some cases, we certainly can see an eczematous process superimposed on the psoriasis process. So you're right, they're separate disorders, but this combination, especially for hand and foot psoriasis, which is, I think, probably the form that is most frequently misdiagnosed as chronic hand dermatitis or even chronic contact dermatitis, there is often that superimposed eczematous component. And then in some of the regionalized forms, inverse psoriasis can be mistaken, for instance, for candidiasis, because it kind of looks very similar. The clue would be there, the absence of sort of pustules. And then for scalp psoriasis, a lot of times it's misdiagnosed as seborrhea. So if you have a patient who seems to have like bad seborrheic dermatitis and you're using the conventional kind of antifungals, ketoconazole, and they're not getting better, then you do want to consider that that may actually be a form of psoriasis. And so I would say those probably are the situations that are most common in that regard. Well, one thing that makes psoriasis a little bit unique is that it tends to change with time. And can you talk about some of the things that may cause this, maybe sunlight exposure, or is it just seasonality, um, stress? Sure. So that's a very good point. So because this is what we think is a T-cell disorder, T-cells are very sensitive to sunlight, okay, so especially UVB sunlight. So in many cases, there's a moderation of the disease in the spring and the summer, and that probably has due to T-cell action and also to Langerhans cells. Langerhans cells don't do well with, with lots of UV exposure, so those two combinations tends to spontaneously moderate uh, psoriasis. And certainly up in the north where, you know, there's less ambient sunlight, you're going to have more severe cases. We've seen patients, uh, you know, who started, you know, maybe in South Dakota and they came to Florida and their psoriasis is spontaneously 80% better just with natural sunlight exposures. Also, humidity tends to help psoriasis. Um, it tends to help prevent some of those secondary eczematous features that we talked before. And so those would probably be the two things that um, are more most clearly recognized. Mm -hmm. So other than sunlight, are there things, or lack of sunlight rather, are there things that can trigger an eruption, uh, cold temperatures? Uh, other, um, other certainly we mentioned medications earlier. So I think mm -hmm. medication triggers. And then of course, stress. Okay. So stress is a major factor for many cutaneous diseases. It tends to magnify the intensity of the symptoms, which in psoriasis are often 
puritis. You certainly can't think your way into psoriasis, but if you have psoriasis and you're stressed, it certainly will be more symptomatic and oftentimes it will be more worse. So these are clear, real connections. And so certainly trying to give the patient a sense that they have control over their disease and that we can manage the disease, that in and of itself often really will improve the skin. Let's talk a little bit about psoriatic arthritis, because that's sure. another thing that kind of sets this condition off from others. And how many go on to develop the psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis? It can be a rather destructive arthritis. Right. Few patients with this. Absolutely. So it's thought that about a third of patients with conventional plaque psoriasis will have some form of psoriatic arthritis. The severity of the psoriatic arthritis doesn't necessarily mimic the severity of skin disease. So you can have very severe psoriatic arthritis and very little skin disease. Those patients are typically seen with by rheumatologists. Mm -hmm. Clues that we will use will be a lot of involvement of the nail. Okay, so if you see psoriatic involvement, psoriatic arthritis is often associated with psoriatic nail changes. So that would be pitting. So you'll see individual pits. You will see what we call oil spotting. So the bed and the plate will sort of separate and it will have this sort of red brown kind of oily type color. So that's a clue. And many patients with severe psoriatic arthritis, they'll have palmar plantar psoriasis. So we'll see pustular change. I would say that the patients we see, mainly their concern is the cutaneous involvement, but it is not uncommon that after you treat patients with psoriasis, they will say, you know what, my joints feel so much better. So I think there's a lot of subclinical psoriatic arthritis that's in sort of the mild category. Mm -hmm. It's not really incapacitating to the patient, but it's been so chronic. And then when it's effectively treated, many of the treatments we use to treat the skin will also treat psoriatic arthritis simultaneously. They notice an improvement. And then there's certainly that subset where the psoriatic arthritis is very resistant, and we certainly partner with rheumatology in management of those patients. Yeah, I'm, I'm certain that the arthritis is generally managed by our, our rheumatologists. Do you, do you know if there's a seasonality to the arthritis, kind of like the skin? Does that vary with the season? From my perspective, I don't see much of that. So certainly arthritis tends to do worse with cold in general, just if we think mm -hmm. about like osteoarthritis. So we may see similar things like that. But like I mentioned, the, the severity of the skin doesn't correlate mm -hmm. with the severity of the arthritis. They sort of parallel. And we'll see that often when we do treatments. There are certain treatments that are very good for the skin that are biologically based that are less effective for the psoriatic arthritis. So there are even, in fact, slightly different pathogenic mechanisms which underlie the psoriatic arthritis and the skin. So it makes sense that that disconnect is present. Okay. Well, let's, let's turn our discussion now to treatment. I recall when I was a resident and making uh, rounds in the hospital, I would often cut through the dermatology floor and uh, it smelled like they just uh, tarred the, the hallways. Right. And I see these patients just covered in tar. Right, and right, right. So sorry for them, but is that still a treatment or do you use that? That's, yeah, that's sort of the old classic Geckerman. And right. for a while, honestly, that was one of the best treatments we had because you could do that. And then patients would have a remittive period for many months, sometimes even years before they relapsed. The thing about psoriasis is that it the treatment has advanced considerably to even when the FDA is looking for approval of psoriasis drugs, the endpoint is essentially 100% clearance. Okay, mm -hmm. so we actually look for drugs that can get people 
100% clear. And this is mainly done through biologic-based therapies. So biologic-based therapies have become sort of the backbone for the treatment of psoriasis. Each generation has integrally improved and the vast majority of patients with psoriasis can be completely cleared. And so if you have limited disease, fine, we'll use a topical. But otherwise, if it's basically impractical to clear you with a topical, then we can, in fact, use a systemic treatment, a biologic-based treatment, and get very, very, very high clearance rates for most patients. And you've had some really exciting new treatments come on the market that um, I've rarely seen any uh, psoriasis patients with significant disease anymore. It's just been amazing. Yeah, it's definitely been a revolution. So it began with this sort of the TNF-alpha inhibitor class. That was the first one. It's been progressively moved to different sort of targeted cytokines, basically. So each one has, there's an IL-17 inhibitor, there's an IL-23 inhibitor, and each generation has focused on a different endpoint and with that, we have had better skin responses. Sometimes you get a discordance, like I said, between the power of the drug to clear the skin and its ability to manage the, the rheumatology, you know, the, the psoriatic arthritis. Mm -hmm. And so there are patients who combination therapy is required, you typically with methotrexate, but the traditional immunosuppressives that we would use, methotrexate or cyclosporin, have really fallen away, even phototherapy. Phototherapy is effective, but it does increase the risk of skin cancer over time. And there's the logistical penalty of the patient having to come for that modality where many of these um, biologic-based therapies, we're talking, you know, they're injecting maybe every eight weeks, every 12 weeks. So even the interval of the injection um, has improved substantially from then when we first started with things like Humira or Umbrel. Okay. Well, let's summarize our discussion. Can you give us maybe two or three key points that review the discussion we've had on psoriasis? I would probably, the first point, what I would emphasize is that we can really help people with biologic-based therapy with psoriasis. I think many patients with severe psoriasis in the past have had very negative experiences, partly because of the side effects of conventional medications and the lack of efficacy or the impracticality of treating it with topically. So if you see patients with psoriasis, you can certainly partner with a dermatologist and generally we can get a really good clinical outcome. And then probably the second thing is classic cases are easy to diagnose, but in these sort of regionalized variants and sometimes in generalized variants, there are atypical cases the histopathology in those cases can be sort of ambiguous, and really it's the clinical pathologic correlation. So if something doesn't seem right and you have someone with a refractory dermatosis, psoriasis, even if it's not in its classic appearance, could be still in the differential and you know, partnering with a dermatologist can help to sort that out. Well, we've been discussing psoriasis with Dr. Jason Sulvavich, a dermatologist at the Mayo Clinic. Jason, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. It was really my sincere pleasure. Thank you so much. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please follow us. Stay healthy and see you next week.